and welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And I know we say this a lot, especially recently, but how are we at the penultimate episode of this season, Emily? <laughs> it is certainly, it is, it's, it's been a whirlwind. Oh my gosh, I I simultaneously feel like we've been recording season three for forever, but also like we just started, you know? Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> Which I guess really means we have to start thinking about season four. Oh my goodness, and we, people doubted that we would even get to a third season, and now we're going on to the fourth season. Just wait until you hear what we have in store for you for season four. It is going to be epic. We certainly have not run out of ideas. I'll say that much. Well, before we get into this penultimate episode of season three, we do have a very important shout out to make because at the time of this recording, Emily and I have recently been featured in the summer 2021 digital edition of Ursinus Magazine. And if y'all have been listening to this show for a while, you will know that we are proud alums of Ursinus College and we are so grateful that the Ursinus Magazine team was interested in telling our story about the podcast. Isn't that, I'm still mind blown over that. Um. It was amazing. I, it was, I don't know. It was such a cool opportunity and reading through the article, it was really nice to see how the story was put together and how, you know, we were along with uh, Jen who wrote the article together we were really able to communicate kind of like what our motive for the podcast as a whole is which I think is very important absolutely and when we had our conversation with her number one it was really fun to reminisce on how all of this has come together and Mm -hmm. what we've done over the past year year and some months um (laughs) And then being able to share it with all of you in a place that is really near and dear to our hearts uh, really meant a lot. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please check it out. It is at the link in the bio of pretty much any of our social media accounts. So in our link tree, basically. So uh, yeah, give it a read and, and let us know what you think. And with that shout out taken care of, I think it is time for us to you know, have a little fun as we do as we start every episode with our screams from Parkington Lane, once again, acknowledging just how much national treasure has become a part of the daily lives of your lovely co-hosts here. And Emily, I certainly have a scream to share. How about you? Oh, I have one for sure. Okay, so this weekend, or this past weekend, I was watching a soccer game with my boyfriend and his family. Uh, So I'm a Manchester United fan. And there's a defender on Manchester United whose name is Luke Shaw. And so we were commenting on something that he had done. He's been playing really well lately. And we were like, oh, Shaw is doing this, whatever. And my boyfriend's dad was like, oh, Shaw, huh? I know a Shaw. And I was like, yeah, like Luke Shaw. And he was like, no, like from National Treasure. Oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, soccer and national treasure combined. Do you remember how a few weeks ago on our music episode, you were saying how national treasure was so fresh in your mind and and you mentioned Shaw a bunch and you've clearly forgotten him already. I have. I I then would like to follow up that my boyfriend then went on to name other famous Shaw's. So (laughs) I was not alone in thinking that that might have not been the one that he was referring to, but he was indeed referring to that one for me. And I'm super impressed by that. The fact that he heard Shaw made the connection with you and with National Treasure, really a minor character. I mean, good on him. That was minor character, please. I mean, he dies and Sean Bean doesn't. Oh, right. He's not Sean Bean. Never mind. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I think it's, it's sufficiently my turn. Um, my scream this week is short and sweet, but I think it says a lot about where we're all at here collectively as we near the end of season three. Um, I just kind of wanted to scream about the fact that as of about two weeks ago, um, I don't know if this has happened to you at all, Emily, but 
as everyone knows here, I run National Treasure Hunt social media accounts. And so I'm very used to seeing accounts and messages and replies from Nicolas Cage fan accounts. When I am on our National Treasure Hunt pages, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, very recently, I started receiving DMs on my personal Instagram from Nick Cage fan accounts. And I'm really not <laughs> sure how that started happening or why that started happening. Um, if this was me maybe a year ago, I'd probably be a little weirded out, but I am wearing it as a badge of honor. And I just thought everyone should know. Wow, Aubrey, you once again, I think you win this round of screens. <laughs> I know it's not a competition, but it's not a competition. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, speaking of those social media accounts that um, I'm running and communicating with you all on, Emily, why don't you tell any newcomers where they can find us and follow along? You, 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 you can, 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 can. Fine, 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 fine. Awesome. On Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt podcast we are also available for your listening ears on apple podcast spotify soundcloud and we recently have joined the platform good pods so go ahead and check us out on there also go ahead and check out our merch store which is available in our link tree along with that or sinus article that aubrey mentioned Guys, go ahead, like, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you can do to let us know what you think of our episodes and to support us. We're really interested in hearing what you guys have to think about this episode specifically because it is very near and dear to our hearts, especially pertaining to the Ursinus article that um, was published uh, featuring this podcast. Yeah, actually, the timing of this couldn't have worked out better. We've been a little coy about the subject of this episode so far. And without further ado, really, um, the topic of this episode is ethics and morals in National Treasure. And this will combine a little bit of both films. Um, but it's really, I think, a perfect fit for today when we're talking about the Arsinus Magazine article, because I think this is a topic that you and I both have really gained an even greater appreciation for because of our time at Ursinus. I suspect on your end, it would really be because of your passion for CIE, the common intellectual experience at Ursinus. And for me, I just had the most amazing experience in my ethics classes with Professor Kelly Sorensen. So I think this is just the perfect conversation for us to have today. I completely agree. And shout out to my first semester CIE teacher, uh, who has since passed Rev Rice for really spurring on this intellectual curiosity about these topics for me. I couldn't have said it better. And so as we do every one of our episodes, I want to start by just giving everyone a quick heads up as to sort of the direction this conversation is going to go, and then we'll jump right in. So basically what we're going to be doing today is examining a handful of, how do you say, maybe ethically nebulous plot points. <laughs> a nice way to put it. <laughs> in both films. Um, and to do this, of course, we're going to refresh ourselves about why these plot points even happen, you know, what they meant for the storyline. And then of course, discuss maybe why they were or were not ethically or morally sound. And so this is really going to be a very discussion oriented episode between Emily and myself. I really want to emphasize that there really are no correct answers here. So we would love to hear your thoughts on everything that we discuss. Mm -hmm. um, but Emily, right off the bat, before we go into our first topic, like our first scene, I really just want to put out there that when I think about national treasure and ethical decisions, especially because this is really in the context of a hero versus a villain and a case where the hero and villain are in some cases doing the exact same thing, <laughs> I think this is... A big question that's going to come up a lot here today is whether ends can justify means or like if someone's motive can turn something that's questionable into something that's okay. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Okay, so with the assumption that that's going to come up, at least from my perspective a lot, um, 
let's jump right in here. The first topic that we want to talk about here today is the big one. Um, <laughs> no better place to start. Uh, of course, from the first National Treasure film, stealing the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so this is obviously really complex from multiple perspectives. We have the concept of stealing. We have something that's, you know, federal property, something that is foundational to our nation. There are like a lot of complicating factors here, I think. Um, and again, it's a place where we are comparing the equivalent actions, if you talk about the ends of a hero versus a villain. So again, in case we need a quick refresher, um, Ben Gates in the first film decides to steal the declaration to protect the declaration is his first motivation here because he knows that Ian is going to steal it and that will endanger the document. Um, there's a second motivation, of course, which is the fact that on the back of the declaration, he will find the clue, the next clue to the treasure. And so there's definitely these dual motives here. And the first thing that comes to mind to me, Emily, is like whether that makes the motive of like protecting the declaration less pure because he's still getting something out of it on his treasure hunt, you know? Yeah. Yes. I have feelings about that. I mean, pray tell. I think it makes it way more cloudy. Um, I think, you know, we know that Ben is a good person. and you know, obviously we know the, the end of this situation. So if in many ways, it's easier for us to apply some ethical arguments to these different decisions that were made. Uh, a lot of times in ethics, one of the cons of some of the ethical arguments that I'm going to bring up today are that it's hard to know what the end will be it's hard to know exactly what is going to be the result of it. So I think knowing that, you know, Ben not only keeps the declaration safe, but also finds the treasure definitely colors this in a, in a more positive light. But I think if you didn't know that and just looking at the fact that it is involved with this really big treasure hunt that he's having makes it just like slightly more questionable as to whether his motives are pure. That's fair. Um, and I could see you feeling that way, especially if, especially if there's not the complete story, you know, the fact that we know at the end though, that he never meant to like keep the treasure for himself and really wants to give it back to the people to some extent adds another layer to this, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think that's, that's it's a good point that you bring up you know talking about I, I wasn't considering the fact that also we know he didn't want to keep the treasure for himself mm -hmm. that again is another yeah example of having this you know hindsight is twenty twenty type thing having this awareness of what is going to happen at the end and being able to look at it from that perspective definitely makes it um, a little easier to rationalize and even so, I guess there are some clear pros and cons in my mind to why this action is a good or a bad action for him to take. But before I get into some of the nuance, I guess I kind of want to introduce the question of stealing writ large. I think most people can agree that stealing is generally ethically not great. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. And in <laughs> fact... <laughs> There are two main forms of ethics, both virtue ethics, which is a Plato and Aristotle's version of ethics, as well as deontological ethics, which is Immanuel Kant's version of ethics, which fundamentally agree with that concept, that stealing in itself is wrong. Right. And I guess I'm wondering, are there other arguments that we can make that would, that would support the fact that stealing could be justified. I guess I'm wondering here if there are arguments that can be made for like, what is the bar that makes, that can make stealing okay? I mean, we'll get to the specific example of the film in a second, but just, I don't know, let's call back to something we're all familiar with, the concept of Robin Hood, right? Like stealing from people who don't need something to give it to someone who really, really needs it. Um, 
this is of course not related to national treasure, but I would think that's an argument that people use to justify like, oh, that's an example when stealing is more morally sound, but is it? Yeah, is it, is, that's the question. So maybe, maybe it's really, let's take a look at the actual pros and cons of stealing in this particular instance. Um, to me, I think it is really significant that he, Ben, is protecting the declaration from someone, Ian, who wasn't going to have the same level of respect and care and probably wasn't going to care at all if he destroyed the Declaration of Independence in the process. You know, Ian wasn't trained to handle historical documents. And I, I genuinely don't think he would have cared enough to actually be careful. He also would have had no idea what he was looking for on the back. And I could see him being angry and like actually destroying it even potentially in, intentionally. Um, that's some speculation, but just based on all the character analysis that we've done. Um, so that's, I think, really significant here. I'm also going to point out the fact that Ben deciding to steal the declaration. Of course, he doesn't know that Ian is going to try stealing it on the same night. So let's take us into Ben's head here. He's going to try to steal the declaration so that Ian doesn't have a chance to, which in some senses could be construed as Ben also protecting people at the National Archives, whether at the gala or in other scenarios, since we know that Ian was going to use bombs and guns to steal it. Mm -hmm. So in some ways here, he's also protecting like a mass group of people and stealing is kind of the collateral damage to that. Okay. I will point out that on the con side, stealing the declaration also results in an innocent bystander, i.e. Abigail, being endangered in the process. But then this again brings in the ethical question of endangering one to protect the many. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And that that you took it right out of my mouth. That was exactly what I was going to, what I was going to say. And that is definitely a concept uh, that's seen in consequentialism ethics mm. more and kind of utilitarianism. Um, another piece here that I think we can't ignore um, on the con side is that even by stealing the declaration, he is endangering the declaration, even though it's much better for him to have it than Ian, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this is a critical piece of our nation's history that has symbolic and intrinsic value. So that actually brings up an interesting point that has to do with consequentialism ethics. Um, and this is the idea that when you are doing something, you want to maximize the benefit for the largest number of people, right? And so it's, it's kind of pulling on what you said before in terms of, you know, endangering more people versus endangering one person, but you can also look at it in kind of a, re a reverse perspective. So the example that I found helpful in this was that if you speed on a street at 2 a.m., even though there's no one there, no one gets hurt, but it's still unethical to do that because maintaining the speeding level means that overall, in the grand scheme of things, less people are harmed. So it brings into question the idea of does Ben, by stealing the Declaration of Independence, kind of bring up this concept or this notion of making it like an not an okay thing to steal, <laughs> but making it more like by us being able to justify that he's stealing it, does that make it a more dangerous action? Because now more people are going to think that it's okay to steal the Declaration of Independence if you're under the right circumstances. Right. Okay. So a couple of thoughts on that, which I think is really interesting. First, to really analogize the whole, you know, making sure you're doing it for the greatest possible good. I feel like it's like asking, okay, well, if Ben had just decided to steal it because he needed to see the back of it, would that have been okay? And to me, that answer is more clearly no. Like if there's no villain in the picture, right. this is way more clear cut. 
and to answer that question, I feel like it's like, yeah, if there's no villain, you don't steal it. You go through all the channels, but because there's a villain and the villain's actions will further endanger people and this intrinsically important document, we really are getting closer to possibly justifying the action when you think of mm-hmm. the other possible outcome. Um, and then it it is true that I just want to point out, you know, we were talking at the very beginning, because I do want to move us on to the second topic here, but we were saying at the beginning, you know, does the fact that Ben does find the map on the back make the motive less pure? I will point out, not only was he planning on not keeping the treasure for himself, um, but the treasure itself, especially once disseminated to the people, if you will, that treasure has intrinsic and cultural value as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we always say, the declaration is a treasure, just like the Templar <laughs> treasure is a treasure. It's a similar thing, right? These things have this intrinsic value and they need to be protected because of that. Um, which I know is a whole other ethical conversation about like intrinsic value, but um, yeah. Any, any final thoughts on this topic before we move on to the next one? I find this so fascinating. No, I mean, I think honestly we could stay on this topic for the rest of the episode and just keep going back and forth. I'm interested to hear what our listeners think about this and if they have any uh, different perspectives on this than we've brought up. Absolutely. Um, the Maybe the last thing I'll say on it, just to one of your final points from a couple minutes ago, I feel like what you said made me think of asking, can you prove that Ben stealing the declaration, whether in a fictional sense or in a, in a real sense, quote unquote, does that make people think that stealing, not just the declaration of independence, but that stealing in general is okay? And that's when it can also become ethically ambiguous fortunately i don't think people are watching this and saying oh because nick cage steals a declaration of independence i can steal whatever i want right mm-hmm. um but i think that's another part of this that i just wanted to say before i forgot <laughs> yeah no that's that's a good point yeah okay well um we're gonna move one from one super heavy hitting topic here to the equivalent topic in national treasure too so our second ethically nebulous topic of conversation today is of course kidnapping the president of the united states that's fun right just in a day's work all in a all in a day's work um again as a reminder to everyone um why does ben gates quote unquote kidnap the president of the united states in book of secrets well ben can only learn where the book of secrets is if he has a one-on-one personal conversation with the president, like completely alone. And so because he is the president and is always surrounded by cameras and secret service and other people, um, this is the only way that Ben decides he can do that. So this one to me, Emily, is a little more clear cut than the the stealing the declaration one. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, where it's less permissible oh okay yeah fully I completely agree I was gonna say I have a very strong stance on what I think about this right no it's 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 far less permissible especially when you consider all of the reasons that made stealing the declaration possibly permissible right so you don't have the fact that a villain is going to kidnap the president and do something worse right um and it's if you want to go the treasure route I feel like there are other ways to go about this before resorting to kidnapping, you know? Oh yeah, there, are, yes. We jumped the gun here really fast. I feel like we could have we could have asked the question and, and possibly received an answer. Probably not, but I mean, I think we're running the same risk of kidnapping the president and not receiving an answer versus asking the president and not receiving an yeah. answer. Exactly. But but the more we get into this, there are some little nuances here that I want to talk about that make this, I don't want to say less clear cut, because when you say kidnapping as your as your verb, <laughs> there's a clear answer. But and I also, oh, sorry, I was going to say, and also because of the fact that it is a person that right. we are talking about versus a document, which 
regardless of the inherent value that, you know, we as Americans feel that the Declaration of Independence has, I think we can all probably say that a person's life is probably Mm -hmm. more valuable than that piece of paper. Definitely. Um, But spoiler alert, I do want to pitch the case that this isn't actually kidnapping and the wrong verb is used. But, But before we get to that, Do we want to talk just a little bit about the obvious, you know, I think we kind of touched on it already, like the problems of kidnapping, like (laughs) that's bad. Um, Don't do it. Don't morally and ethically non-ambiguously bad. Um, There's also, you know, you were talking about rule following. This is Mm -hmm. a big one for like rule following and the perspective of federal authorities as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess, is there anything else you want to talk about that before I pitch the possible pros here? No, I'm interested in hearing your pros. Okay, these are less of pros and more justifications. And like I said, I really feel like the word kidnapping is not the right word to use here. Obviously, for plot reasons, we use the word kidnapping because, well, that's what Ben uses in the script, but why do they script it that way? Oh, to add the like, wow, mic drop moment, right? Mm-hmm. Let's think about what actually happens here, though. Would you truly consider this kidnapping? I mean, we, Emily, you and I talk all the time about the fact that Ben is not actually holding the president against his will at any point in time. Um, yeah. He shows him the way out. He you know, has a very candid, honest conversation with him. He's not threatening him. And I mean, this, this in itself would be ethically ambiguous, but um, Ben almost doesn't even have to cop up to the fact that he shut the door. The president wasn't watching when he did that. So (laughs) no, I just want to, I just want to say the fact that from the president's perspective, like he's not being held against his will. And we see that at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's a key piece here. Also, or did he just forgive him very quickly? True. That's actually a good point. Um, but along with that, I'll go to my next point, which is in the quote unquote kidnapping process, even before the kidnapping quote unquote happens, Ben does gain the president's trust and sort of become friendly with him. Now, could you say that's manipulation? Yes. What we know about Ben Gates, do I think it's manipulation? Yes. Not necessarily. Really? I don't think it's necessarily manipulation. I think he would want to have that rapport with the president anyway. I think that too, but I also think that he is very Machiavellian in some of the ways that he goes about things where he is in many ways a full proponent of ends justifying means. Okay. Okay. And he'll do what it takes to get there. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't think he would ever, I don't think he would stop at nothing though. I mean, we did see a a piece in the beginning of the first film, just to jump back to the declaration really quick, where he was going to basically totally give up on the declaration of independence line of thinking at the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. He found it appalling that Ian wanted to steal it. And that's when, you know, the only way to protect it is to steal it. It's backwards, right? Like that's almost a direct quote. Um, so in this case, I don't think he would ever actually endanger the president, do you? No, no, I don't think he would endanger the president. I was just speaking more from the perspective of like, is he wanting to get into the president's good graces purely because he, like, that's the kind of person that he is in terms of like, he wants to be like right up there all in the history of things. Or is it because he had this, motive of wanting to get this information from the president well and i will give you a point there which is um you know this scene even if it's not even if it's not considered kidnapping let's say you agree with me and it's less and kidnapping is the wrong verb um while they are together in a one-on-one conversation i wonder if you could make the argument that ben was kind of like pressuring the president to reveal information that he didn't want to Hmm. which is another potentially problematic thing true you know mm-hmm. um and the last i guess on the back on the quote-unquote prose side besides the fact that like maybe this isn't quite kidnapping um 
I will just point out that much like stealing the declaration, this sequence of events does provide a key clue that leads to the discovery of a treasure, once again, that has intrinsic and cultural value, potentially even more so since this is like a Native American treasure that very clearly belongs to a particular civilization and its descendants, whereas, you know, the Templar treasure, many civilizations compiled there, but this one, it's like very clear cut. You know what I'm saying? Like this belonged to a civilization that has lost it and we can give it back. Um, so to me, this one's, as we discussed, less gray area. Yeah. But when you get into some of the, the nuance, there are things to discuss, I guess. But we don't have to spend much more time on it if you don't want. No, I think we should move on. Okay. Well, in that case, let's move on to our third topic, which actually relates to both National Treasure and Book of Secrets, M. And this topic is working with a villain. Mm. So... I want to just provide a little context here because it's a little less obvious um, maybe what we mean by this. So, for example, in the first film, we have Abigail and Riley working directly with Ian and his team to get Ben out of FBI custody and then to really, you know, access Parkington Lane. That's like a whole working together sequence for the last I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the film. Mm. Um, where the key part here is you know, getting Ben out of FBI custody is a felony in itself. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. And in the second movie, we have our whole protagonist crew working with Mitch at Mount Rushmore to gain access to Cibola. Okay, so... I have, a, I have a comment before we even get started. Right off the bat. So this is going real CIE on this. I think the concept that we are entitling this topic of working with a villain and are thereby labeling Ian and Mitch as villains from the beginning is going to skew the way that we view this from an ethical perspective because I think that we are already identifying them as being the bad guys like I said even though we know or not like I said even though we know they are the bad guys that once again brings in that concept of because we have this foresight and we know how things work in the end, we know that they're end up being the bad guys. But in real life, a lot of times the people that we call villains aren't actually villains. They're just people with different perspectives than we have. I think that's a really good point. However, in a fictionalized <laughs> world... They are not just maybe villains with different perspectives. They are written archetypes as villains. And so I think- Yeah, I mean, there's no arguing that they're villains. I just I, wanted to bring that up. No, that's fair. But actually what, what that does do realistically is maybe we can also identify at what point in each film they are clearly villainous and there's no turning back because maybe that actually colors the conversation here a little bit. Um, so in the first movie, I think it's when Ian tries to steal the Declaration of Independence using force. I think it's even earlier than that. I think it's when he's willing to blow up Riley and Ben in the bowels of the Charlotte. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's definitely it. <laughs> Which is literally the first scene of the movie. So yep. we are established really early on there. I think we're justified there. Mitch um, is a little more questionable. Yeah, let me he's, actually... He's an adversary, for sure. He... he enters as an adversary but yes whether he I don't even know if I would fully classify him as a villain I think for sure by the time we're in Cibola and he like is holding a knife to Abigail's throat <laughs> sure um and I then would... that cutscene stabbed John Boyd's <laughs> character <laughs> exactly no exactly so but you're right I think this one's a little bit more complicated let's think about this um he's He's definitely an adversary from the get-go because he has, as you pointed out, a different perspective. Um, but maybe if you can justify the actions of his cronies, since they're doing what he tells them to do, if you can say that sort of when Ben and co are in Europe and Mitch's cronies like break into 
Patrick's house and knock him out to clone his phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what the bar for villainy is here, but to me, violence is a pretty good starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that scene with Patrick might be the villainous entry point for me with Mitch. What do you think? I can agree with that, definitely. Okay, so it definitely takes longer to be um, a villain for Mitch. But I think we do get to the fact that everything we're about to discuss in both films happens after these characters are established as villains. So I feel a little bit more justified now. But thank you for, I honestly thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a really good point. Um, Again, I want to start with the rationale here. Why are Abigail and Riley working with Ian in the first film? Well, we know that they're not going to be able to finish the treasure hunt without Ben. Um, and one of, (laughs) one of the rationales that Abigail kind of gives is the only person who's going to be good at committing a felony is a felon and Ian's a felon and breaking Ben out of FBI custody is a felony. Um, I think this is, I think this is a really pure example when it comes to rationale of means to an end you know, finding the treasure, that's the end goal here. And they're not going to do it unless they work with Ian to get Ben freed. Um, Mm. I think the additional motive here becomes saving Ben's dad and then eventually Abigail and Riley, because once Ben is freed, um, he's trying to start working with Ian because that was part of the deal. Ian reveals that he kidnapped Patrick And then sort of kind of once they're in the church reveals that he captured Abigail and Riley too. (laughs) So there's definitely dual purposes here. Um, In National Treasure 2, not only is there the subtle argument to be made that Mitch has a clue that's needed to solve the rest of the puzzle, Mm -hmm. which we've argued before that's not 100% legit. Sure. but there is a very pragmatic reason here because once again, our villain has kidnapped someone. He kidnapped Ben's mom. Yeah. And the only way to help save her is to help Mitch find the treasure. So this is also sort of a means to an end. But these are the rationales that we have for working with our villains, aside from plot. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I have to say before we even get into the pros and the cons of this, the fact that we have at minimum, right, if we're just talking about Ben's parents, forget about Abigail and Riley for a second. At minimum, we have two people, right, that have been kidnapped, one in each of these situations. So once again, we're talking about people. And if we're thinking about it from the perspective of a utilitarianism perspective, we would be thinking about, well, which is going to harm the most people or the least people? And in this case, working with the villain isn't really going to harm any other people because working with the villain is simply, as you say, a means to end up finding the treasure. It's not like they're working with the villain and then murdering people, right? (laughs) Right. They're working with the villain to find the treasure. So in effect, they are using that utilitarian argument of doing what they need to do in order to save the most people even though the most people is only one to three people in each of these situations you know and from a utilitarian perspective i really feel like we are free and clear here not only are we actively saving people and not endangering others you also are as a result finding the treasure which has value Mm -hmm. so that feels very like dust off our hands. We did it. We're good to go. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to ask, is there, especially from the perspective of rule following in the first film, there's the fact that our characters are now accessory to a felony. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what the ethics are of breaking someone out of federal custody. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not great. Probably not great. So I guess you'd have to step away from the utilitarian perspective to start seeing the negatives here. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think 
Yeah. When you get down to that, I think, you know, regardless of which of the other uh, ethical perspectives that I mentioned, whether you're talking about virtue ethics or deontological ethics, I, you know, virtue ethics, which I haven't really talked about as much is really, it's emphasizing the virtues or the moral character as someone. So the idea is to act in a way that a virtuous person would act in the same circumstances. And I don't know that a virtuous person would necessarily break someone out of jail. And by that same logic in terms of following the rules, the action itself of breaking someone out of jail is wrong. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it is wrong to do and it is ethically not like, it is not a good thing to work with these villains. Mm -hmm. Because of what it causes one to do. Yes. Yeah. But I, I will also say that that is also like one step further removed from the initial question of just, is it right or wrong to work with a villain? That's true. There is another piece of this that I wanted to raise because it lends us or leads us into, I think, our fourth and final topic of the day, which is in National Treasure 2, by working with Mitch, um, Mitch kind of like forces his hand and like, how do I put this? We kind of let Mitch win if (laughs) um whether or not it's actually like warranted or deserved mitch quote-unquote wins here he kind of gets what he wants except for the fact that he ends up dying but he still gets what he wants he still gets what he wants and in the process by working with him he does threaten other people's lives right abigail um not only has he already kidnapped professor helen mirren but he, again, as we discussed, like is holding a knife to Abigail's throat in the flooding Siebel room um, and then is kind of forcing Ben to stay behind. So that's just something else I wanted to raise here. It's a little bit more subtle, but especially if we're talking about harming people, they couldn't go into the situation of working with the villain knowing that no one would be harmed in the making of this collaboration. <laughs> right. You know, it just so happens because of Disney movie magic that no one is harmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that is is a very good point. So that that interests me then. What is our final topic here? Because you said it leads right into it. Okay, so the final topic that is probably a bit subtle for folks. Folks might not have thought of this before. But if you have listened to our show, you will know that we have very strong feelings about this. (laughs) Some of us do. Oh, please. You don't have feelings about this? Not as strong as yours. Our final topic today is from National Treasure 2, and that is the fact that Mitch is given credit for finding Cibola. And so this is, again, a much more subtle conversation. This is not by any means about, you know, harming people or intrinsic value or anything like that. Recall here that the rationale is Mitch did ultimately sacrifice himself and stays behind in Cibola, um, allowing our protagonist crew to go free. So he wasn't actually present at the end with the president to say, hey, I'm here and I deserve credit. Um, And Ben tells the president that aside from the, the fine go the credit for the fine going to everyone who was in the room at that time, Ben says it should also go to Mitch Wilkinson. Now there's actually a really subtle, the reason actually I wanted to talk about this for our final topic is this, the scene where this happens. I don't know if you've picked up on this before, M, but at the end when the president is talking about the credit and saying the credit will go to Ben, Abigail, Riley, and Ben's parents, there's a significant moment where you see Ben look to Abigail. Abigail smiles and nods, and Ben turns back to the president and says, and Mitch Wilkinson, sir. And the president says, is that right? And Ben says, it is true, sir. 
So I think that use of right and true is actually begging us and asking the audience to consider whether or not this was the right move. Okay. Hmm. Because, because when Ben could have just said, yes, that's right. Or yes, sir. But he made the effort to say it is true. Hmm. It is not that it is right. So that's the implication that I'm getting from that scene. I find that scene actually really powerful. It's very subtle, but I think it begs the question. So I just want to very quickly pitch the pros because I think they're very outweighed by the cons. (laughs) Um, But of course, why are we doing this? Well, I guess it is granting Mitch's dying wish. um, And it is making good on a promise, right? Whereas Mitch is saying, like basically holding the door open, he says, tell them I found it, tell them I found the city of gold. Um, And I guess by leaving the room, there is an implicit acknowledgement that Ben will tell them he found it, tell them he found the city of gold. Um, So it's kind of making good on that promise. There is the aspect of this that we've discussed at length before that giving Mitch credit does acknowledge the fact that Mitch's family had that letter from Queen Victoria, that was technically a clue. Now we've debated in the past whether or not that clue was actually needed, but it did exist. So immediately those are the pros. And especially Emily, as someone who doesn't feel super strongly about this, can you, do you have anything else to say about the pros? Like why this was a good move? I think it was a good move because I think I don't know. I think it was the right thing to do. <laughs> I, I think. I think that in. In holding the door open. He or Mitch made it so that. The other people could survive. Right. Whether or not he necessarily went into that situation thinking I'm going to sacrifice myself to make sure that word of this gets out or anything like that. He still fundamentally did the thing. And by doing that and making sure that the rest of the people got out, he did play an inherent role in that discovery. Because if he had not done that, the discovery would not have come to light. Could you not also say that if Ian hadn't broken Ben out of FBI custody, they wouldn't have found the Templar treasure? Yeah. So should Ian get credit? Well, Ian didn't die. I so think this is part- all about martyrdom. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a part about the dying that that makes it, to me, seem like more of the right thing to do. That's really interesting to me. Is that is do you have any reason for that or is that just kind of how you feel it's kind of how i feel but i also think it comes from a bit of a religious perspective Mm, in in the sense of that i'm christian so i believe that jesus died for our sins and essentially then became like the ultimate martyr so that i believe in the concept of like very strongly in this concept of sacrifice for a greater good or sacrifice for something else and you know just because you then go away when you perform that sacrifice if you end up dying doesn't mean that you shouldn't be acknowledged for having done that thing okay i see you i'm gonna try to change your mind <laughs> okay. change all my religious upbringing go So, well, I think this is very crucially not like a religious scene though, right? And part of this really harkens back to, and maybe you can answer this from a religious perspective if this changes your mind at all, but it calls back to who Mitch was when he was alive as well. And can just dying redeem that? Because again- He died and saved people's lives. It wasn't his intention. It doesn't matter. He did it. It was his intention at the end. I don't know about that. At okay? the end, he was literally like, I will stay here and hold the door. 
but he didn't intend to sacrifice himself. And in fact, quite the opposite, he threatened literally everyone else's life in that room until they agreed that he wouldn't be the one to stay behind and die. Right, he but then wanted- he did stay behind and die. So you think that's justifiable? That the yes, fact that because he-, he changed his mind. Even in the last seconds, he changed his mind about so, what he was doing. I don't believe that's necessarily redeemable. I, when you think of the fact that he would have, until he changed his mind in that last possible second, he was basically fully planning on all of them were going to be in there and drown unless they agreed that he was the one person that definitely survived, which is, I think, not cannot be overlooked. Another thing, he did not help in the process of finding the treasure. Instead, he actively threatened to harm and endanger all people that he encountered throughout the process. (laughs) Both parents, right? He knocked out Patrick. He kidnapped um, Professor Helen Mirren at gunpoint and held a knife to Abigail's throat. He was in a car chase with them where they were shooting at at our, our protagonists and everything. He did everything to harm them and nothing to help them until that last second and another action that i think can't be ignored here especially if we're talking about ethics you can't just criticize the ethics of one person and just say oh because in the end he sacrificed himself all of his problems are have disappeared let's go back to the very beginning here even before we knew he was a villain he slandered someone he slandered thomas gates knowing that it would make Ben go find the treasure for him instead of just trying to find the treasure himself. So you have to ask the question of, okay, we didn't know he was a villain when he, when he did that because we didn't know it was slander at first. We didn't know it wasn't true. But by the end of the movie, we know that what Mitch said about Thomas Gates isn't true. And can we have, should we have, I'm not saying we should, but like we could have an entire second conversation about the ethics of slander. So I think that fundamentally what this comes down to, and I think this is why that we're going to end with differing opinions on this, and I will be interested to hear what our audience thinks about this and kind of what side they come down on. I think it comes down to my belief that the, that like a lived life is not a matter of keeping score, right? We're not we're not on the good place if you've seen that show it's about tallying points and stuff like that we're not it's not that every action you do is either a pro or a con against who you fundamentally are as a person it means something while you're alive but I fundamentally believe in the goodness of people to be able to change who they are and even if that change comes right at the end I still think that it's meaningful so you think and this is a different example, but I just want to make sure I'm understanding your thought process here um, because maybe this is just an area in which we disagree, which is totally fine. As we said, there's no like objectively right answer to any of these conversations, but like, let's say there was a serial killer killed hundreds of people throughout his or her life. And on the last day of their life sacrificed themselves for some purpose they died because they sacrificed themselves in that moment we should martyr them despite the fact that they did all that other awful stuff previously in their life i think it depends on the level of the sacrifice they they you mean like how many people it saved is that not keeping score in a different way or just like the i mean yeah i guess it is keeping score in a different way yeah no, that, I mean, that's a good point. There's definitely not, my logic doesn't always hold through all Oh, the it's way. fine. It's just a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's definitely a good point. I would say that I don't know that we would necessarily want to martyr that person, but I think that that person would deserve to get credit for the thing that they did. I don't think that that should necessarily be the only thing that that person's known for, especially since they killed a bunch of people. Mitch, as as far as we know didn't kill a bunch of people so i think like giving him credit for this thing without highlighting like oh he slandered this person is like an okay thing whereas like giving someone credit for saving some lives after they serial killed a bunch of people if that's even a verb that you can use 
<laughs> is I think you need to also acknowledge the coexistence of those two facets yeah, of their life. There's different level, different levels here, but I don't think any of the ethical theories that we've touched on here really puts into boxes like which things are actually permissible in the oh, you no, know in the grand scheme of things and which things don't. Um, the last thing I want to bring up on this one because I think this scenario of giving Mitch credit for the treasure that I think we can agree he really did not contribute to actually finding. Mm -hmm. um, I think this could speak a little bit to our experiences in academia because this reminds me of a common debate within academia and especially in like Twitter academia or academic Twitter, that's the one, um, where people are always wondering like, do you give credit to someone like authorship on a paper to someone who quote unquote doesn't deserve it from a contributions perspective? And this is like heavily debated in the academic community. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super analogous here because if you say, okay, the equivalent to the paper in academia in our movie is finding the treasure whose name goes on it. Um, and yeah, Mitch Wilkinson's probably getting low authorship Right. Right. He's not the yeah. first name listed, but he's on it and he doesn't necessarily deserve it. And like, I think a lot of the times people in academia say, well, if it's not hurting me and it only helps someone's career, why not do it? Um, but I don't think you can necessarily give an analogous case in this scenario. Um, it's not I mean, it's not physically hurting Ben to give Mitch that credit, but I think it probably emotionally does, given everything we just discussed about how, again, Mitch threatened his and his family's lives and the slander aspect and everything. Um, and what is Mitch getting out of it besides his dying wish fulfilled? I don't know. So I guess I wondered if you had any thoughts about that. I think my arguments from previous part of our conversation kind of carry over into this I think I as an author would be much more lenient mm -hmm. <laughs> with the people that I would allow to have authorship on a paper that I contributed to mm -hmm. um, not only because it's been done for me in the past uh, but because if there is in any way some kind of contribution that I think it does deserve to be acknowledged in some way interesting i think ultimately uh, while i agree with it for the academic sense i don't know because of the reasons i agree with it for the academic sense since they don't really hold in this sense i don't know that i can translate my thinking um ultimately though even though there's not a clear answer here for us i think based on the scene that i described at the top of this topic that Ben feels that all things equal, he doesn't necessarily want Mitch to have the credit for whatever reason. Because remember, he doesn't say it's right. He says it's true. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to point that out because I think it's an overlooked little aspect of that scene that really launched this whole last you know 10 minutes of conversation. <laughs> um, so guys, those are the four topics that we wanted to go through today. I've got to admit, we could have pulled a lot more mm -hmm. from, from these movies to talk about, but in the interest of everyone's time, we thought these would be the most fun and, you know, discussion provoking. So um, what we're going to do is number one, we're going to ask you to tell us what you thought about this episode. How did you feel about us discussing the ethics and what side if any clear side, do you land on with any of these themes that we've, you know, had a conversation about? And we're going to give you some homework, right, Em? Yes, a good teacher always gives homework. So there was one other key factor that we considered discussing here today, but again, in the interest of time, we decided to forego it and ask instead that after you listen to this episode, you write to us on Twitter or Instagram with your argument, your ethical argument, about the following prompt, okay? I'm your professor now, and this is your prompt. We want you to weigh in on the ethics of, at the end of National Treasure 1, 
Ian being sent to prison, especially with the connotation, recall, someone's got to go to prison, Ben, (laughs) for stealing the declaration and everything that's happened here, all of these shenanigans. Was it fair that Ian got sent to prison? Was it fair he got sent to prison over Ben? That's what we want you to tell us on Twitter and Instagram. And you can tell us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can also find us to listen to for more of these types of conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and also the new platform that we are trying out, Good Pods. You can check out our merch store to find your National Treasure Hunt merch in our link tree, as well as that link to the article from our sinus college that we were recently featured in. And Aubrey, what is our next episode going to be about? Our final episode of season three of National Treasure Hunt is a super secret special interview. Get ready for that, guys. If our past seasons have told us anything, it is that we can end with some pretty hefty and pretty cool interviews. So be sure to check us back out in two weeks time to hear that episode. That's right. And until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.